0: But you'll hear me.
1: I wonder too if it's like your voice tone is lower. If that if it has a and right. Just saying. No, I think we're. I don't know anything about sound. I'm just making it up.
0: Yeah, I'm true. I'll try to (laughs) increase my. Pitch? Is that the right right word? Don't
2: do that. That would be awkward and uncomfortable. Oh, so uncomfortable. You should try it. <laughs>
0: yeah. you
2: should try it. <laughs> no, Imagine
3: you're going through puberty
1: again.
0: Right? <laughs> no, once was enough.
1: Oh, exactly. gosh. Yes. Never again.
0: I'll just talk louder. That seems right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to put my pen away. Oh, yes. I, I'm a, Here I go. A clicker. Here I go. Don't. Mm, there you go. That's one of the things I learned.
0: I'm going to leave it on just in case.
1: Our fabulous sound designer, sound editor. Who's clicking a pen? It was me.
3: So much in life is scripted, but this is Unedited. Listen in as we have casual conversations about art and faith.
1: Uh, welcome to Unedited. I'm Farley Sanderford. And I'm Jennifer Chetlett. And today, uh, this week's episode, we have two very fabulous guests. Our dear friends. Dan. Tell the people hi.
0: Hi, I'm Dan. <laughs> and
1: Cassandra. Hi, I'm Cassandra.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is
2: like a a children's television show or something, but you know these voices. It's not. (laughs) Well, it might be, actually, yeah, just the audio Mm -hmm. of one, yeah. Dan Reeves is the executive director of World Horizons. He's been here a couple of times. Cassandra Mm -hmm. Troy has worked with the organization for a lot of years, Um, and we're excited to have her back with us for this conversation on othering, Um, which i didn't know it was a real word until
1: recently. I didn't know that version of the word existed. Yeah. So it's like, like I knew it as a noun. Right. But I as didn't a verb. know it as a verb. Right.
2: Um, okay. So the definition of othering, um, according to a couple different sources, I'll, I like this one. Um, the term othering describes the reductive action of labeling a person as someone who belongs to a subordinate social category defined as the other. The practice of othering is the exclusion of persons who do not fit the norm of the social group, uh, which is a version of the self. So we like to, um, we want to talk about this topic because it's kind of going on in all of the spheres that we're involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought it'd be a good conversation to have here.
1: Mm-hmm. I was a history major in undergrad. And so looking at the past is one of my like favorite things. And it also, I think, is really hopeful when I think about the present and the future Mm. um so as we're talking about othering there's four i was going to do three because i like number three but then i thought of a fourth example um that are probably all you guys probably all um would recognize as a very prominent example of this othering practice uh so first i feel like one of and these are again these are all fairly obvious so I'm not doing anything really difficult here. No,
2: but they help people kind of get their idea, get their mind around context. My favorite word, context.
1: Um, So here in the United States, uh, we had the African slave trade, right? So we categorized a whole group of people, not even just from a particular country or from a particular background, from a whole continent Mm. as the other, right, as less than. Um, And we exploited them, and we could go on and on and on about that. so that's one example in our own country. Um, the second example I thought of that I don't know a whole lot about, but I know a little bit about is the caste system in India um, and sort of labeling people within mm-hmm. different castes. And if you're one of the lower castes, then you're not even really considered like a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one I thought of was, again, another kind of obvious one is um, the Nazis in Germany and the Nazi party and how they um, not only categorized people as less than and subhuman, basically, um, but then they completely annihilated whole groups of people mm-hmm. um, about, based on things that were they were born with. And that's another thing we could go on uh, about. Um, the fourth example is the apartheid system in South Africa. And, um, again, another example of a... Minority of um, white South Africans categorizing other people completely on an arbitrary basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within those categories of, of people, um, again, subjugating them to exploitation and um, violence and all the other horrible things. Mm-hmm. So there's the othering, right? The, the naming of certain people or groups of people or whatever, um, based on arbitrary, generally categories. But then there's like the second level of, of stuff that happens in the, the violence and the like acting on it. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not only just viewing those people, some people in that way, but then taking negative kind of action against it. Um, and those <laughs> are just, again, those are just four kind of blaring obvious answers, mm-hmm. um, or examples that I found just in my own brain. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot more.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's add to it. Because uh, you were talking, when you were saying, I was thinking Native Americans in this country. Yeah. They were othered. Yeah. Any other other ones, like big ones, jump out to you?
0: I think gender uh, othering mm-hmm. happens a lot. Um, a lot in church, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all these movements, uh, Me Too, and if you look at the hashtag Church Too, mm-hmm. the church isn't like, like uh, freeing of, of that guilt, you know? Um mm-hmm. It happens a lot and it costs us a lot, I think. Mm -hmm. Every category, I think, of when you have groups that have power, dominance, um, resources, anytime that that exists and there's another group introduced, I think you find the possibility for othering.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you kind of partially answered the next question Mm -hmm. that um, we have. Look at that segue. I know. It was really good because my next question um, was examples from the church, but on the mission field. You've lived overseas, Dan. You've spent time overseas. Cassandra in that capacity um have you like what have you seen I mean I think
3: in some places you go on the mission field there's not necessarily a ton of missionaries there's a pretty small group and they Mm -hmm. all know each other so I think othering can happen in a couple different ways like if you have enough foreign foreigners in a mission context then you can sort of just other the people who you're supposed to be serving so you can Mm. form sort of like an insular community with all the foreigners there and then also if you have people who are predominantly from like a couple different organizations going to serve or from a couple different denominations there's potential I think for othering as far as denominational lines Mm -hmm. and how you envision ministry working versus like working together and compromising maybe Mm -hmm. one group or both groups might say like I think there's one specific way this should be done Mm -hmm. I didn't come here to like have you tell me how to do it a Mm -hmm. different way Mm -hmm. I
0: think it's, it's all over the place, so it's hard to talk about, oh, this is the most prevalent way I've seen it, but I think in two ways uh, I've seen it most. I think in it's in race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic status in the mm-hmm. world, right? And mm-hmm. So um, I we saw a lot of refugees when we lived in Bulgaria and coming into a population that really wasn't very welcoming mm-hmm. and was very prideful about its own culture. And mm-hmm. so we saw a lot of people by legal standards have rights that were afforded them as Mm -hmm. asylum asylum seekers or refugees, but a whole community of people that did not want them there. Mm -hmm. And so like their rights played out not as well as they could have Mm -hmm. in the society because it just wasn't very welcoming. Mm -hmm. Um, Then from like an honest missions perspective, I think we've had often as Christians, we, we have really liked to differentiate ourselves from others as a chosen people and not chosen mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think differentiation can be fine. Like we believe different things, mm-hmm. but we've often, I think, acted like that there was a strata then of value. Mm-hmm. So maybe not with our words all of the time, maybe yeah. sometimes, but with our posture and our treatment and of, of others and our methods in, in ministry have, I think, otherized Oh, you made a new word. Otherized. yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. we're adding to this vocabulary. I know. <laughs> other forms of the yeah,
0: word. yeah. But I think that's happened. I think by seeing that other people have are somewhat lower, even we wouldn't mm-hmm. use that word typically. Yeah. We mm-hmm. try to be more humble than that, so we treat people like that mm-hmm. enough that um, we treat them differently than they than we would of somebody uh, that has value mm-hmm. and has something to offer. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we need to recover from. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you guys, either of you two or Jennifer too, do you guys have any thoughts about this, the idea of like the great white hope? Do you have any ideas? Like briefly. I know it's really like- define it. Can you define, define it? Define yeah. it. So it's, oh, Dan, maybe you can- <laughs> He no.
2: doesn't Please. want to. <laughs> no. I
1: will attempt. Again, I'm not, an, I'm not, this is not my area of expertise, but um, it's something I guess I've heard kind of tossed around. It's something that we- we as missions-minded people probably wouldn't would try not to be this. Um, um, so basically, like the idea that we as the predominantly white Western Christian, uh, mostly Protestant people, um, are going into these unreached places. <laughs> right where in into the mission field where there's people of color right non non-western people um and we're coming in with our message of hope and the gospel which is true but we're sort of like carrying this this torch and this message with um authority and like you said like we're we're coming in with like that we are more valuable because we have this this message and this belief system and, that we're coming into these lowly places and sort of redeeming them. Um, so there's like a an hierarchical clear difference between us and them, um, even though we are so noble and coming in with telling them about Jesus.
2: But I think historically we've come with more than the gospel. We've come with our culture too. Yeah,
1: that's part of the whole problem. Right, right. It, because it's coming from a posture of I am of more value. And again, maybe not now, not, not so much now explicitly, those kinds of things are happening, going? but, but
0: maybe. I think it goes on all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and the, I think the primary like fault there is not understanding the value that's there. Mm. Um, and we make decisions. We historically as Christian white missions type people have made decisions of value about different cultures and even expressions of faith Mm -hmm. without fully understanding that and have jettisoned Mm -hmm. some things that were really, really useful and good in the kingdom of God and because it's different and not like us and replaced it with stuff that is like us and it's been destructive for like so many places, especially on the continent of Africa, where um, like land was stolen and, and whole like resources have been stolen historically and like, I read an African theologian who was saying, yeah, you came in and took our land but left your book behind, you know, and now we have to decide what is an authentic African theology after the fact. It didn't have to go that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does it happen still? Yeah. Because I don't think that we teach in the church the value of others very much. And that's a huge um, fault of ours that we need to own. I've seen American pastors come into missions context on short term or longer term and in a very quick amount of time decide what needs to happen mm-hmm. and try to replace something that's already there and the destruction's like so prevalent um, mm-hmm. and long lasting and um, I don't know, I think it's, it's a tragedy. I think we need to be better and more careful and somebody needs to be saying, wait, you know, look for value first, don't look for difference first. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. In the context of short-term mission I think it's also like still very easy to perpetuate Mm -hmm. the idea of like the people going out as a white savior or something Mm -hmm. like that because if you don't do short-term work wisely it very easily ends up being poverty tourism where Mm -hmm. you just get to go and like see how sad people's lives are and feel good about Mm -hmm. something you did and then leave that context mm-hmm. and I think part of what exacerbates that issue is talking about other places as just impoverished or mm-hmm. disadvantaged and not talking about them as places or people that have equal value mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm.
0: as I think some good work has gone on in in missions um in, in starting to value culture as a part of, as a valuable component of faith, I think the perspectives on uh, what's the whole title? The perspectives on
3: the world Christian movement. yeah,
0: world Christian movement was a, a, a teaching about mission that did start to factor in the idea of contextualism and culture mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. as something to be respected and valued. Mm-hmm. But I think that it doesn't go far enough. I think it still sort of presumes that that we are bringing. The value we're bringing, we're bringing the God into the godless situation, and we have a lot of uh, text and, and scripture that talks about God already working everywhere, you know, and seeking and and it. I think that violates that character of God mm-hmm. um, to have that approach. So good movement forward. I think a lot more work has to be done.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. My, I guess my next question that we could talk about is, um, and then I'll give. I'll give two brief thoughts, but you guys have probably also have lots more thoughts than I do. Is um what the Bible says about othering, and obviously this word is not explicitly in the text. Um, but we can probably see some examples of that. Um, and two things that I thought of very quickly are um the idea in the, um in the Jewish law of clean and unclean, um. Again, I don't know a whole lot about that, but generally that sort of idea. Um, And then the other thing I thought of kind of on the other side is the uh, sort of example of Christ and how instead of um, sort of keeping with his own little tribe um, that he not only interacted with, but went out of his way to interact with people who we, if we put into context would be considered, quote unquote, other. So, um, the the woman um, at the well, the Samaritan woman, right? She was a woman and she was a Samaritan. Um, and then the um, the uh, tax collectors and sinners, quote unquote, right? The people with um, the people he interacted with who had skin diseases or leprosy, right? These are kind of like these are sort of shunned um, people. So those, are, like those, are the two kind of things I thought about. Do you, you guys? Can you guys think of other ones that maybe I'm missing? Yes. I, hear, I
0: hear talked about a lot the idea of being set apart as a reason why we might want to differentiate and other, you know, and say no, they are different from us, and it's okay to act that way and treat them that way. Um, but I think that when I think about what does the Scripture say about how we are towards one another's. Across the whole spectrum of humanity, I, I think of the end of the story and, and see this like picture of all of the, the mm-hmm. varieties of people coming together as one. And it's beautiful and it's powerful as the destination of our faith, mm-hmm. which makes anything along the way that.
2: Are you referring to Revelation where it talks about every tribe and tongue coming? Okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's mm-hmm. the picture of mm-hmm. the culmination of our faith. Mm-hmm. And our scripture is this beautiful picture. And the response of that is even the heavenly beings like worship, right? Mm-hmm. And so if that's the end game, anything along the way that seeks to separate us or create different categories of value Mm -hmm. can't be part of our faith, actually. Mm -hmm. So the set apart term is for a purpose, not for differentiating in value, Mm -hmm. because that's where we're going, right? Where all are valued in such a way that it's really beautiful and good and not... Homogeneous, you know mm-hmm. i think the bible has a lot to say about it but you have to factor in the whole bit of scripture if you can take a little piece out and, and then utilize it poorly which right. has been done a lot right um like manifest destiny is about right, go and <sighs> conquer as long as you're conquering for christ doesn't matter what happens to the people give them an opportunity give the savage the barbarian an opportunity mm-hmm. and take what you want because you're doing it for the kingdom
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's using scripture poorly you know so
1: context
0: yeah a little mm-hmm. bit context. you know you have to understand the whole story where are we going we're going to this thing that's beautiful and diverse mm-hmm. don't violate that along the way you
1: know mm-hmm.
3: in talking about othering i immediately thought of galatians three twenty eight. there's neither jew nor greek neither slave nor free no male and female for you are all one in christ jesus and mm. yeah uh, yeah, that's like <laughs> you know, mic also my <laughs> like, like you know, the idea of a chosen people, we do see that in the Old Testament as the Israelites as God's chosen people and then with Jesus we see that suddenly everyone is invited to be God's chosen people and we see the Gentiles also invited to be part of building the early church in the new Testament. And so I think in an ideal situation, Christianity should be like an equalizer and Mm -hmm. like it should be inviting Mm -hmm. people in and providing belonging and not just not, assimilation and sameness but Mm. a place where you can have diversity without making one group the other um Mm -hmm. even if you do think
1: of yourselves in different categories Mm. that's good i really like what you said about belonging versus sameness like those are a lot of times we want to think about those as the same thing but no. they're totally different stole that from that article that you guys referenced <laughs> <laughs> no it's good
0: there's an idea like inclusion is the ideal but inclusion isn't what we're talking about inclusion says come in and be kind of like us right and as long as you're enough like us then things work out okay mm-hmm. and the us are the people who have the resources and the power and mm-hmm. dominance and all of that mm-hmm. anytime that's threatened then you're not enough like us and then now we might exclude you or, or you know other you mm-hmm. outside and, and that can go to the worst of human expression, the mm-hmm. things that we've seen go really poorly in history that you mentioned, you know, yeah, like there's a better way. There's, there's and one of the theologians that I like is Miroslav Volf. He teaches, I think at Yale divinity mm-hmm. and he wrote this book on and, and called exclusion and embrace. And his ideal is not inclusion, but actually embrace, you know, that's what mm-hmm. we see Christ doing to him. Humanity, like full embrace that encompasses the whole person, the whole culture mm-hmm. as, as one, but, Also recognizing the value of the the differences within that. So Mm -hmm. uh, don't come and be like us, but let's be together in our differences. And a lot of things are possible. It's Mm -hmm. really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about inclusion more than that that probably, I think. Mm
2: -hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, You know, one of the the primary things we're doing with this podcast is looking at where um, art and faith intersect, overlap, um, what they have to say to each other and about each other. And this idea of othering is also in the art world. Um, mm-hmm. A lot, I know, for me, um, as a potter, as a craftsperson, like I was othered throughout all of college. <laughs> There's definitely a, um, a strata in mm-hmm. like in, at least in academia, a- and I think actually in in the art world and mm-hmm. galleries and all of that, whereas you know fine art um, is held to is held in higher esteem than crafts. Maybe even I would say even maybe two D more than three D. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but fine art higher than craft. You know, functional things are um, definitely and people who make functional things definitely seem seen as less than. Um, and not an argument that, like, everything that's made should be put in a gallery. That's, like, not, <laughs> not the argument I'm making. Um, but uh, certainly it goes on in, in college, um, the college campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, so as someone who has been othered in the art world, um, Farley, tell us a little bit more about, like, other
1: othering. Um, this could be a whole podcast. Yeah. So I'll <laughs> try and keep it brief. So this time I do have three points. Um, so the in the history of art, right, in, in the beginnings of art history as a field, as a as a thing, um, one of the first things that these guys did was establish a canon, C A N O N, um, which most of you sitting here probably already know, um, but for those of you who don't, um, so the canon is basically the accepted, um, understood um body of work body of art body of artists um who um the academic world deem worthy of study and worthy of inclusion um in to be for the history for art history so basically Uh, who makes it into the history books right exactly Mm -hmm. who gets put into that giant survey textbook that's like right
2: jansen two inches still have mine Uh, do you still have your jansen Big, did you do you have a big dance in art history book? I have multiple art history books. Uh-huh. I don't know. I have like five, five, I'm sure six. You have a time. Oh my yeah. gosh. Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get a new one every time there's right. a new edition. It's yeah. a big book. That's ridiculous. Uh-huh. Um so so we have the formulation of the canon. Um and this is not a knock at anyone who identifies us this, this way, but it's basically put together by it was basically put together by old white dudes. Right. Again, no offense. Um, <laughs> these yeah. are the these are the guys who are in charge, right? Um, as we've seen in other arenas, in which we live and work. Mm. So we have the the canon, mm. and the canon is the pinnacle of the canon for most of these early art historians is the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans, right? Because everything mm. is pretty and idealized and beautiful and blah blah blah. Um, so that means that. Anything that is not within those kinds of categories is not put into the canon, so it is not studied. Um, and so we kind of self self fulfilling prophecy, right? We keep learning about the same mm. same stuff. Mm. Um, so we have that, um, and then later on we do with like the the women's movement and the um, civil rights movement. In, in you mean broader like women's culture. suffrage? Is that how, how far back you're going? Yeah, okay. yeah. So there's women's suffrage, but then mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s, we have oh, like right, second right. and third wave right, feminism right. coming mm-hmm. in. Um, and they start questioning on a broader scale, right? The culture mm-hmm. um, and rights and all these kinds of things of these quote unquote other people. So we do start to see a shift, at, but in, in the inclusion of like artists of color and a uh, female artist, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they get kind of lumped together as, like, a separate thing. Like, you take your survey classes, right, your Art 101, Art 102, whatever, um, but then you have to take a whole nother class to learn about these people, um, these artists. So there's, like, non-Western art. There's women and gender studies art. There's, you know, all these different things. Um, so they don't really get, like, incorporated into mm. the broader study. I try to. As no, you're
2: exactly right. Because I had to, I took women in art. It was a separate class. Yep. Then, then my, you know, first I had to take four semesters of art history, and yep. that, that was a separate class.
1: Yeah, yeah. that was my that was my experience too. Um, so, they we're at least starting to like talk about mm. them um, and talk about their work, but it's still in kind of a separatist way. Mm. Um, and so that's part two. Part three is museum practice how museums generally treat um, specifically non-Western art mm. is completely different to how they treat Western art. Completely. Mm. I've never, I mean, I've done internships in a museum. I've never been paid as a museum person. But it's always kind of bothered me. Like, and you guys can probably have seen this too. Like, the the works that are made by these Western, um, acceptable, canonized Artists are put on a right, put on a white wall with a little placard and categorized based on what period it's from, blah blah blah. But then the works that are um, by African artists of various countries, um, Native Americans, um, any any of these sort of other categories, they're treated in a in a museum. Totally, they're behind hmm. glass, right? Okay, and now
2: I'm looking at the VMFA differently. You're exactly right. They're behind
3: yeah.
1: glass. Yep, I'm they're, thinking
2: about where those exhibits are in our own museum.
3: And
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Here, wow. So
3: they're like historical specimens or artifacts. Artifacts
1: like versus pieces art pieces objects. Art. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So those are the three kinds of things that I have picked up on. In since we're talking about it, can can we, as a, as an exercise, can we come up with um, some of the quote-unquote other artists like artists of color
2: do we know any do you
1: guys know any can you i'm sorry dan you might be at a disadvantage but that's okay <laughs> um artists of color female artists anyone who might not qualify as a canonized quote-unquote artist yeah okay so and i won't i won't say anything because i honestly, you know all the answers, I, know all the answers.
2: <laughs> I mean frida Kahlo is the first one that came to mind
1: yes yeah as a Point not, for you.
2: Point for me as point, a non white yeah. Oh, is this a game? Is this not a point I'm going <laughs> to lose.
1: Sorry, sorry. I don't want <laughs> to make anybody anxious. anxious. <laughs> um, just to see how many we can think of. Well, we got one.
2: But I'm thinking, and these are even the ones that like have made it into the commercial world who have been, you know what I mean? Right. in the pop culture.
1: Right. Which she, she kind of has. George O'Keefe kind of has. Mm-hmm. Um But... Yeah. And well, Frida Kahlo gets two points because she's a woman and she's Mexican. She was right. Mexican.
2: Um, Mary Cassatt. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Name, Mary? Mary Cassatt. Mm-hmm. But she's, I mean, she's white. She's a white lady. A privilege. Yes.
1: But she's it's, still a lady. She still gets a point.
2: Yeah. It's hard. I mean, I, I'm thinking of some like contemporary ones that I just know because of yeah. what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go back in history, it's. This this is a hard exercise mm-hmm. because they were not part of and education. And it proves the point. Yeah, yeah. Faith Ringgold is the other one I know but only mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I wrote about her. She gets two points. But this this completely proves what you are saying, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah,
2: we were not taught this stuff. Nope. Yeah.
1: I I try to, as much as like we have to cover in a short period of time, like in 101 we have to cover what like thirty thousand years of history. It's crazy. In like twelve weeks, but I start I try and like sneak in a couple.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do we change things? I don't know. I'm thinking about all of this, and I'm thinking like, all right, what's the root of othering? And I think it's pride. Fear. Fear, yeah. okay.
0: I want to talk about the cost of it,
2: though. Oh, we and can talk about that before we talk about how to, yeah. yeah because okay. like how, for what you as a,
0: as a potter, as an artist, mm-hmm. right, being othered,
1: mm-hmm.
0: think about the cost of that. What mm-hmm. what have we lost because we haven't made space for you mm-hmm. as, a, as a fine artist, as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. And then... What we're just saying, you're saying as the whole scope of art history,
3: mm-hmm.
0: the tremendous amount of possibilities that were lost because we simply don't know and didn't value, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, or like screaming. these people
1: were disadvantaged in some way and didn't have the same opportunities, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. they weren't able, weren't able to necessarily mm-hmm. get the acclaim or training even. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important
2: to remember the cost. Um but let's, I don't know, like, what can we do different? Like, what's, so what's the church's role in fostering um, belonging instead of othering? And then, like, what's our role as a gallery? I know this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, but what do what we do moving forward to, to, to do different, to do better? We're talking about this a lot as a, as a missions organization. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of this conversation around the office right now.
0: Cassandra you mentioned fear as, as a reason and I mm-hmm. think it comes back to fear of loss mm. uh, primarily um, and I think it that speaks to our society but also our, our theologies of what do we expect out of what's possible you know um, I think that we have a prevalent like disposition towards there's not enough
3: mm.
0: and both in the kingdom which we have so much scripture that talks about the the abundance, abundance. in Christ you know. Awesome. But we act as if there's only so much to go around and it and it costs us all of the the input that would help us to understand god in much in a much better way um but i think it's true across all the the different categories where we other Um, if if somebody else has possibilities then i have less but what's true about any time that society has chosen not to other is that there's always more possibilities than than there Mm -hmm. would were just by the two different groups or, or multiple groups, mm-hmm. when they come together, many, many more possibilities are. So changing our attitudes about uh, other pe- other people and the possibilities inherent in, in community um, would go a long way. Um, our expectations about what will happen after we value others, you know, should change. And it, that's the work of the church. It's, it's inherent throughout our, our, our scripture and our faith. We've chosen to to not believe that. We've chosen to believe fear. And I think that's the the flesh versus the spirit. You know, mm-hmm. that, that Paul talks about. You know, believing that I'm in survival mode all of the time, so much so that I'll do anything that I can to protect me, and my 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 family, and my people. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that I would other somebody else so that I can pr- protect that. But the spirit says no to that and says, actually, you love them and more is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where we're going. So. Um, that's the work of, of mission in the church, I think, that has to change.
1: I've been thinking a lot about scarcity, like, the past few months. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you can't see it, but I'm nodding my head a lot.
0: <laughs> I'm speaking very authorita- authoritatively, which feels a little weird, but I'm mm-hmm. really passionate about this because I yeah. think it's it's like being a, the only white male in the room, I do feel like this burden, like, we've done this really, really poorly, mm-hmm. and we have to be people that are willing to say, yeah, that's true. And, and offer a better way forward by actually making space for the other people that bring value to the discussion. You know, the women, the theologians mm-hmm. from African nations and South American nations, Latin American nations, Asian mm-hmm. theologians. Um, the more we do that and say, no, that's normal and that's good and um, produces more, the better we'll actually be at that. But we've got to get out of the way and, and tell ourselves that a lot.
3: You know? mm-hmm. In John Powell's article that I already referenced, earlier um he gives examples of belonging happening and one of the examples is the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act
0: Mm -hmm. so
3: like actually legally making places Mm -hmm. accessible and with that example he points out that in order to combat othering sometimes you have to make special accommodations for marginalized groups of people. So I think we definitely need a shift in mindset Mm. in order to resolve othering wherever we see it. But also if we're part of a privileged group that has other people, we also have to ask ourselves like, what sort of investments do we need to make Mm. like materially or socially in special accommodations to see these other groups feeling belonging. And Mm -hmm. I think that not only does that demand humility from us, but I think it demands some sacrifice because just Mm. because you say like, hey, everyone's welcome here. That doesn't mean that like everyone can Mm. get to where you're talking about or that everyone's going to feel comfortable once they – get in that space so how can we change how we operate and Mm. like provide resources Mm. to make belonging possible and for the gallery like would that mean helping artists who like couldn't normally afford to ship their work Mm. ship their work that's Mm -hmm. just yeah an example but something like that whereas other artists might be totally fine and be able to finance
2: that themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know, um, being in a curatorial role, it's made me want to, um, to do more work on my end in seeking out, um, more diverse artists, artists Mm -hmm. of color, um, you know, which is work worthy of doing, um, I, I, when we were at the Breath and the Clay conference last month, I, I'm remembering something Amina Brown said, who is a African-American um, spoken word poet. And I'll, She's fabulous. She is fabulous. Um, and I hopefully have this quote pretty close to what she said. She said, when you walk into a room, um, if it's only white people there, you should first ask yourself why, and then second, ask yourself if you should be there. And that was pretty powerful for me, because mm-hmm. I had never thought about that before, um, but, yeah, she has a, a lot. I've learned a lot from listening to her. Um, but I, I know as a gallery, it's definitely something that our team's talking about and wanting to um, be better at, to, to do better. You know?
0: I feel like if Amina Brown would speak more, I would never speak again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it would be really good for the world. Mm. I actually had a mentor who helped me to see this. He, he, he encouraged me to think all the time, is my absence better than my presence? Mm. Because space is is mm. resource as well, you know, wow. and, and and a lot of times it's true, mm. and we hate that feeling mm. that people are better off without us, you know. Mm. And that's not a statement of devaluing necessarily. It's just a statement that <laughs> it's a statement that we can f- fill a room and not realize who we're not making space for. You mm. know? Mm-hmm. I think it's a good question to ask yeah. for me. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: being someone who goes to art museums a lot, mm-hmm. um, and someone who values learning about artists that don't always get all the
0: accolades
1: Mm. and don't get recognized or, um, talked about when I go to a museum. And again, this maybe is a good exercise for the Mm -hmm. next time Mm -hmm. you go to an art, art gallery or an art museum. Um, I specifically, especially if it's somewhere I've been before, um, I try and find the works that are done by female artists or artists of color or non-Western artists. Mm. Um, one and spend uh, spend a little time um, with that um, with that work, and then try and learn more about them. Mm. Um, I'm a research nerd, um, and so yeah, that's one way at least I can sort of expand not only my own um, sort of visual library that I have mm. rustling around in my brain, but mm. also just to expand it in terms of um, seeing the world differently and Um, expanding my own
2: I think we could do that with our faith too as far as who we read Mm -hmm. yeah that's good you know seek out authors who are not like us Mm -hmm. that's good
0: I've added that to like my like academic work you know if I'm Mm -hmm. doing any research on on theology I try to make sure that it's not just a single Mm -hmm. point of view Mm -hmm. That I'm trying to factor in as many Mm -hmm. different voices in theology from across the world as possible it's changed how I view everything and how I work and my methods And there's always more work to do. So Mm. I think you're right.
2: And I feel like we could probably go another hour talking about this. But I think (laughs) we will wrap it up um, here for today. Thank you for coming, both of you. It's always nice to have you all here. Um, And thank you all for listening. Uh, If you would like to reach out to us, please email us at podcast at worldhorizonsusa.org. If you have any questions, comments, show ideas, um, send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. If you are listening on iTunes or Spotify, please leave us a review and a rating um, and maybe share this podcast with a friend. We will see you next time.
3: Thanks for listening to Unedited. This podcast is produced in cooperation with Gallery Edit in Richmond, Virginia. You can reach us at podcast at worldhorizonsusa.org.